of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org and hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia and now banned, permabanned from Twitter. That's right. AmericanPartisan.org has been permabanned from Twitter with no real reason given. They just don't like what we have to say, but you know, that is what it is. I certainly don't do this to make all the wrong friends, but it is nice to have all the right friends around you. And I'm joined right now with one who uh, is absolutely a a great friend of mine, has been um, really a a, a staunch conservative libertarian and uh, has been a, a figment in the training community for a long time now and he has got a mountain of experience a guest that i've had on several times in the past mr k from combat studies group what's up brother hey pleasure as always man it is dude you know i mean it's literally you know tale of two cities worst of times best of times The, the the hard times bring out the best you know, and, and they certainly have all the right people come together and coalesce, you know, and, and really it's it's no different. I mean, uh, with with us, it, it's it's really something to behold. I mean, there, there's a lot of people out there that lament about censorship and all this stuff that, you know, that, that's really outside of their control. But when you get down to it, I mean, my question for them has always been, well, what are you doing about it? What are you, you know, how are you going to fix it? How are you going to make the world uh, that you live in your battle space better than than the way it is right now? And, and you know, a lot of times they don't really have an answer, but, you know, you're one of those people who is very active in improving battle space and and trying to do that for everybody man and so it's always really good to have you um right off the bat something that that i wanted to get your take on is this story once more coming out of new york city which is disturbing to say the least uh of course you know just a couple of weeks ago we were subjected to a, a story of this nuclear attack 
uh, public safety announcement, which was, uh, it, I mean, it looked like a skit at a Sesame Street to me. Um, it, it, they, they certainly are not taking the threat very seriously, or maybe this is just a half-hearted effort at underscoring a real threat that's out there. Uh, but now we have, and this was published uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, over on Gateway Pundit, New York City is urging people to get their go bag ready after issuing first nuclear attack PSA since the 1960s. And so we had this this earlier uh, PSA that was put out. Now, of course, they have a new one urging people to get a go bag together, uh, but still saying that they're. There's no specific threat. There's nothing really to see here. You don't have to be worried about it. But there might be a nuclear attack. And so you need to get ready for it. But, hey, trust us. We've got it covered. Nothing to worry about here. What's your thoughts on this? Well, at, at first, you have to enjoy the irony of, you know, a, a hyper-liberal uh, city and state like New York pushing the concept that, you know, we've all been pushing for a long time, and that is to have a go bag um, is just part of your, you know, your daily traveling accoutrements. Um, so that's kind of funny. But the fact that they are bringing it up, especially that, that very ham-fisted, uh, you know, nuclear attack DSA, um, I, I see it as predictive programming. Um, this is something they like to do. They've done this for a long time. Um, you know, and, th and this, of course, can can take us into the, the tinfoil hat venue pretty quickly. Um, but I would expect there to be an event. Um, whether or not that's perpetrated by the the enemy of the day or other actors uh hiding in the shadows um you know remains to be seen but uh it, it it's something you really can't ignore i mean that's for sure yeah absolutely um we absolutely can't ignore it and you know i just want to i want to disagree real quick when you said you know we could dive quickly into tinfoil hatland honestly what you and I would have considered tinfoil hat and what many of uh, folks out in the larger public might consider tinfoil hat, which are two different things because, you know, you and I, with our backgrounds, um, you know, your, your military background, intelligence agency background, you know, and, and mine working in, in the military and having access to a lot of uh, privileged and sensitive information, um, you know, we, we have a different processing of the threats that are out there. So what we don't necessarily consider tinfoil hat, the, you know, some in the larger public uh, might. And then, of course, there is the, the wild eyed theory stuff out there. But w what I wanted to, to quickly say is that where we are now, what would have been tinfoil hat or outside of the realm of, of plausible possibility even a decade ago, is very much possible now. I mean, a nuclear attack on New York City, 
that's kind of the plot line of, of many action movies. Uh, of course, it, it also conjures, at least to me, the plot line of Jericho, uh, the TV show from the mid 2000s, where it was an insider group. Uh, what we would come to know as the deep state today, this was all fiction that was being uh, written back then. And now art imitates life. You have a group, uh, a government, a, a shadow governance within the government that is doing everything that it can to maintain its own power. And I mean, we see this. It's out there. It's exposed. And, you know, it, and it's no longer tinfoil hat. These are commonplace terms. We know that these things exist. And to even suggest that an attack would would occur and might even be perpetrated by insiders here in the United States previously would be kind of a, a crazy theory. But what do you think about nowadays? Is that even within the realm of possibilities? Oh, I think it certainly is. And, you know, Jericho is a good example of, again, predictive programming. I mean, um, you know, kind of as you as you briefly stated, it it is exactly the 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 storyline in that in that uh, show. The you know deep state basically, I guess we could call them rogue elements of the intelligence apparatus and the senior executive service. Um, you know, detonating nukes in various cities across the country in order to enable a great reset. You know, we'll fast forward to present day and, you know, look at the things we've had to endure in just the last couple of years. Um, from the COVID nonsense to this vax that's killing people to, uh, I mean, you know, the food crisis that we're, we're on the precipice of. And, you know, I, uh, I'm struggling to get people to, to really recognize that for the threat that it is. Um, and it's it's becoming a very real threat in places kind of on the forefront of this, this farming fiasco, you know, such as what we're seeing in the Netherlands. Um, we're seeing it pretty aggressively in Canada and some other countries that, you know, just really aren't making the, the mainstream news cycle. Um, so, you know, that could be the next step. Um, we continue to poke the bear and very aggressively. And that's not going to end well. It's not going to end well for us. It's not going to end well for anyone. Um, right. No, it, it, it certainly isn't. Um, and, I mean, we're, we're really pushing the boundaries with both Russia and China, and it doesn't really seem like we have a whole lot to back it up, at least in in my estimation. And I know in yours as well, and a lot of other people, we're, you know, Colonel Doug McGregor comes to mind. We're really beginning to ask why. Um, when we have so many cascading failures here at home and potential points of exploitation, why we are all of a sudden uh, pressing the attack in Europe and and really, I don't want to say making empty threats, but we're certainly pushing the envelope of, of what's acceptable. And and some would even argue that they, the, you know, we push the envelope off the table and we're not too far away from from an all out war. Now, I want to revisit the food crisis. Um, you know, the story just broke uh, today, earlier today, 
that a lot of the uh, the cows that had died, quote unquote, from um, uh, excessive heat in Kansas, which I don't buy that story. I don't buy any part of that story. Um, I do happen to know quite a bit about cattle and, uh, you know, bovine are not going to die from excessive heat. I mean, I know there's different breeds that have different ranges of tolerance and whatnot. I get all that. Uh, but it's not like this summer has been an anomaly when it comes to large scale weather patterns versus the past, you know, 80 years. We didn't have cattle die-offs previously, and why was it, if if it was uh, excessive heat, why was it that they died in in, in a localized way? Um, that in and, and it really just does not it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But here we have you know problem reaction solution. They're taking all that beef of the cattle that died instead of uh, doing the ethical thing and seeing what you could salvage. Uh, which is a difficult process, but absolutely could be done. Instead of doing that, they just took everything and, and dumped it in a landfill. And this is, a, if it was an isolated event, it would be easy for us to accept that maybe it, it, it's, you know, it's not part of a, a larger scheme of maneuver. But when you have the large scale <laughs> sabotage that's going on, what we're seeing with uh, food processing facilities and manufacturing facilities that are creating goods for food processing that are all being sabotaged. It really looks like a larger scheme of maneuver. What do you think about that? I agree completely. They, I mean, if you take any one of these incidents in a vacuum, you know, it, it's one thing, but, but we can't do that. We have to look at the, the larger picture and look at all the other events that have been going on. And, you know, I checked a couple of weeks ago and North America has had over 5,800, uh, you know, food related logistic destruction events. Um, that's a lot. And comparing it to past years gone by, it's also a lot. It's, it's unprecedented. Um, you know, and, and that coupled with the, the pretty clear statements from the, you know, the communists in our government, um, basically calling for our destruction. They, you know, traditional Americans have become enemy number one and they, they have a, an assortment of epithets they, they use to, you know, uh, demean us, uh, to belittle us, to marginalize us. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, to me, it's pretty clear. Uh, I don't see a lot of mystery in this. Um, you know, I may bring it up with, with friends and family and they kind of scratch their heads and, and do the, well, it's just one of those things. It's just not one of those things. You know, this, this is, there is a uh, design behind this. Um, these are just not random events. Uh, and it's, I think it's pretty foolish to take that position. Um, and, you know, we haven't even begun to feel the deeply feel the pain from this yet. You know, this, this coming winter is, is going to be a, a rough winter, both in Europe and in the United States. Um, probably more so in Europe, uh, because Europe is so incredibly dependent on outside sources of energy and food. Um, and they've really kind of cut their throat, you know, with Russia being one of their primary suppliers 
of those items. Um, and it doesn't help that we've we've kind of forced this uh, this alliance between Russia and China um, in the financial world as well as in the logistics world, and you know couple that with the whole BRICS or the BRICS if you if you prefer. Um, yeah, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of pain. Be a lot of pain coming. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we, it, it just seems like to me that we have so many. It, it, it's a kaleidoscope of so many different factors that are all intersecting all at once. And, and one of the things that that you mentioned um, that I think is really profound and it's something that Bob Griswold brought up as well in the interview that I did with him just a couple of days ago, that we're being kept the, the American people. When I say we, I mean the American people in totes. Uh, regardless of political position or standpoint or whatever, we're being kept in this state of constant uh, traumatic stress of, you know, this this fear of one thing, this fear of another thing. All of them are, are great cataclysms of uh, or at least treated like great cataclysms of uh, severity and, and existential crisis when in reality they're not. and you know, like COVID. COVID was this this uh, hyper reactive fear that we had ingrained on us, and now it's being exposed. Really, that that one, it was not the threat. It was not the the nation killer that it was being portrayed to be across the world. Um, that two, that there was great amounts of overreaction. Three, that we caused catastrophic damage to our own economic infrastructure that we're only beginning to see. The damage from now. And so when when I look at things in the big picture like that, I begin to wonder like, okay, all right, like what's going to be the next thing, quote unquote? Uh, what What's going to be the next thing? Because they have to keep this ball rolling in order to maintain power. If, if you allow the people to sit back and actually question some of these things, they're going to come up with some uncomfortable and inconvenient answers for the power structure. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I agree. And you know, they've they've got the public so conditioned um, to you know it's it, it short attention span theater, and so they they can only play one of these cards for so long before they just start to lose traction, um, and their lies start to become more and more exposed. And you know, so they always have to have this kind of next current thing ready and waiting to plug into the system. Um, you know, so let's, we're just not getting the traction we want to with the COVID. So let's whip up monkeypox. Let's make that the next big thing. Uh, and they're desperately trying to push that. So the, the media is just, you know, doing an all court press on trying to convince us that monkeypox is an existential threat to us all. Um, and, you know, we, we need some kind of emergency measures. We've already got the WHO ringing that bell, trying to turn this into a global crisis. Um, and, and I mean, from my point of view, the monkeypox thing is that's a much harder sell than COVID. Um, so right. I, 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 I don't know how, how much action. <laughs> the, the demographic of who is, who is contracting monkeypox is not, <laughs> 
that is certainly an inconvenient fact. I mean, the entire month of June, the entire month of June, the rainbow month where, you know, hedonistic pride is, is supposed to be taking the forefront, right? Because that's exactly what it is. That's what they're celebrating. Um, yeah. Is is hedonism? Is raw hedonism? We didn't hear about monkeypox. Oh no, 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 no! We're not going to talk about that. And to me, that is very much a, a soft admission that this this is. I don't necessarily think that this is going to be the next thing because uh, enough people know now. I mean, the the jig is up. They know who's getting monkeypox. It already has that stigma, um, and I don't. I haven't seen much evidence that monkeypox is a uh, terribly fatal type of infection. I, I think that uh, the treatment methods and safeguards against it are fairly effective, uh, at least from what I've seen. So it, 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 it this doesn't seem to have the feel to it as the uh, the all-knowing, all-being, civilization-ending threat that they want it to be. Yeah, it's. It, it kind of smacks of the uh, spaghetti against the wall technique. They're, they're just seeing if something's going to stick. Um, and they're really kind of playing the, the, the Machiavellian, uh, you know, state of fear, like Michael Crichton wrote about years ago, uh, keeping the populace in, in that constant state of fear. And as soon as one of those fears starts to wane, they got to ramp up the next one. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to know what they're going to pull out of the closet next. Um, obviously the, this, the skirmish with Russia is going to continue to grow. Um, I don't, I don't see this shrinking in severity anytime soon. So. No, it's certainly not. Uh, and, and if anything, it's going to escalate even further. Um, I, I believe personally, this is kind of what I'm projecting on the horizon. I see a civil war breaking out in Pakistan and, uh, there's a lot of very alarming evidence coming out of that. Um, and when you're talking about the, you know, the Taliban, now the, the Taliban, this is something I know, you know, a lot about as well. The Taliban in Pakistan, the Taliban in Afghanistan are related, but kept separate in terms of command and control and scope of operations and, and what have you. And with the Taliban gaining influence in Pakistan and alarmingly so at a, a very concerning rate, um, Pakistan right now is trying to form some sort of response to this. And, and they're, uh, this is going to be interesting to see how this goes, but I think in, in typical pa- uh, Pakistani faction, there's going to be uh, a lot of blood. It's going to be very violent. Um, there's going to be a lot of civilian casualties coming out of this, and it's going to be left in limbo who's actually in control of their nuclear arsenal. And so when you're talking about volatility on that scale, coupled with, um, you know, Turkey is really a wild card in terms of uh, NATO coherency as well. You've got two ends of the Islamic world who are now seeing themselves on the rise. 
And, um, you know, I, I know probably something that you were read on to things that we were seeing in the late 2000s and into the mid 20 teens was this idea of greater Coruscant and them being nuclear armed. You know, there's a potential there that we could see a, a greater resurgence inside of the Islamic world as well. That's going to pose a threat to everybody. What do you think about that? Yeah, the. In typical Middle East fashion, they they tend to fight fire with gasoline. Um, so, you know, kind of in regard to their internal their internal struggles. So that that could go sideways in a hurry. Um, you know, we've we've got the the strife, the the growing strife in Sri Lanka. Um, we're going to see more of that, I think, uh, spilling out. Uh, because you're, it's the same causation, uh, dysfunctional governments, um, a, a political elite out of touch with the, uh, the common man, um, and the food supply issues. They're hitting those countries before they're really hitting us. Um, they just have less of a buffer. So, you know, in, in Pakistan being nuclear armed, um, that that's always been a concern. That's something that's always kind of I don't want to say it scared me, but it's always been concerning. Um, because Pakistan is, is just for decades has been barely in control of their own of their own territory. Um, you know, and as you brought up Turkey, Turkey is a wild card. In Turkey, Turkey has an unusual amount of sway in the affairs of that region and of greater NATO itself. Uh, you know, look at what just happened with Finland and Sweden. Um, they had to go hat in hand to Turkey. Uh, and I don't know what concessions were made. It's all very hush-hush, but clearly there were some big concessions made because Turkey had a very hard line on that subject and, you know, within two days completely did a 180. Um, And, you know, they, of course, they've got the, the strategic aspect of controlling the straits uh, going into the Black Sea. So they've kind of got their fingers in a lot of pies right now. Right. And I personally, I don't see Turkey as an ally. Uh, no. Not at all. <laughs> no. Um, no, no, they they are they're a duplicitous. I wouldn't even call them an ally. I, I would say a, a duplicitous uh, fellow traveler out of convenience at best. Uh, yeah. But they they are a threat at worst. I mean, when I was in Iraq, Turkey was very active uh, playing both sides. Um, you know, a lot of the fuel that was being hijacked and sold by ISIS, that was a, uh, income stream for them. Where were they trafficking that fuel into Turkey? Um, you know, it, it's the, the Turks are absolutely no ally of the Western world and, and they don't even consider themselves part of it either. Uh, they, they're only part of NATO out of their own convenience and certainly nobody else's. Um, so, but you know, when when you take into account the the long term stated goals of Erdogan and his government 
and what he wants to do. And then you you add in the volatility between Azerbaijan and Armenia, Iran, where Iran and both uh, them and Russia fall into the mix, uh, you know, standing against uh, Erdogan's government. This there's there's so much volatility there. And I see a lot of the most radical elements of Islam taking the advantage of the the chaos that's created. So it's really a a three-way dance, but really a four-way dance too, because we've got radical elements here in the United States that are looking to take advantage of it as well. Um, And, and of course, then there's always the shadow governance faction, uh, which is at work, what, you know, we commonly call the deep state, uh, the SES ring uh, of government there. I mean, there are so many, again, it's, it's the kaleidoscope of so many intersecting factors that are coming together. And it's just very interesting uh, to see where this works out. I personally think that kind of this, this New York city nuclear attack warning, whether it's predictive programming or, or what have you is, is really the most interesting escalation of all of this uh, since they know that, you know, a lot of other things have failed. The economic institutions may be looking at a, a severe recession, if not a depression. And um, it, it, there's so much volatility there. But shifting gears just a little bit. So we've been talking about the problem, kind of uh, approaching it from, uh, uh, you know, identifying the threats that are out there. Let's talk a little bit about what we're doing about it. Um so New York City's urging people to have a, a quote unquote go bag for a personal nuclear response. Um, and, you know, bug out bags and, and what have you are kind of a staple of the, the prepper genre. Uh, you know, there, there's a mountain of different websites out there, videos, people got all their different opinions on it. But as somebody who's had a huge amount of um, non-permissive environment training for tradecraft in non-permissive environments, for austere environments, for possibly having to self-extract from a country where you're operating in, where, you know, we might not want to admit that we're operating in. What would be in your go bag? What would you advise people to have to best prepare them for this type of civil chaos? Well, you always, right out of the gate, you always want to kind of tailor your go back to your environment. Um, so your physical environment and your operational environment as well. Um, so that being said, the rule of threes come into play, obviously. Uh, food, water, shelter. Um, you know, you, and we're trying to keep a go bag small. It, it's like being in the infantry and you're going out into the field and you know you, you start thinking of all the various items you might possibly need and pretty soon your ruck is over 100 pounds um you know and the suck factor just starts getting out of control so you you really have to kind of break it down to you know picking a small backpack picking a small shoulder bag whatever whatever suits you um that you're honestly going to be willing to keep with you, to keep at the very least in your vehicle. Um, so let's say, you know, a little 20, 30 liter size backpack. Um, there's only so much water I can get in there. So 
I like to throw a liter of water in there, maybe two, but more importantly, something that can purify uh, questionable or filthy water. Um, and understanding the difference between a filter, a microfilter, and a purifier, which are actual distinctive ratings. Um, if you can't get a mechanical filter, uh, at the very least, uh, powdered chlorine, uh, commonly known as pool bleach, or pool shock, or you know, good old-fashioned iodine tabs we had in the military, those work well. And then understanding how to actually use them properly. Because um, unless you're in, you know, the, the Southwest right now or somewhere like that, you're probably going to be able to come across some source of water somewhere. Um, as far as food, I don't get too wrapped around the axle about food. You can actually go a long time without eating. Um, but if you're going to add the weight and size expense of food into your go bag, it needs to be stable. It needs to be very, very nutrient dense. Um, and I would favor fats above all, everything else and then protein and carb. Um, you know, and, and they, there's purpose designed, you know, mainstay bars and you know, other kind of survival food items that are you know, very, very concentrated. Um, those are good items to just throw in your bag as well. Uh, if nothing else, something like a power bar or whatever brand of that type of a protein bar you prefer. Um, but something that's going to be fairly resistant to heat and cold fluctuations as well. People tend to throw their go bags in their cars and their cars turn into ovens in the summer and just sit there and bake. So quite often people will crack open their go bag and they've got, you know, a power bar package that looks like a balloon because it's spoiled and you've got you know bacteria inside they're off gassing and it's nothing you can eat um shelter uh at the very least i still like the old school ponchos you can do a lot with them um you can wrap up in it use it like a sleeping bag you can create a shelter get yourself out of the rain or the sun if you need to um and then you start getting into the kind of miscellaneous tools you might need. Uh, I always like to have a multiplier, a uh, Leatherman or a Gerber, um, just because it seems like there's always something, you know, whether it's a screwdriver or I'm trying to turn a nut or a bolt that, you know, I just can't do with my fingers. And you can actually get quite a bit done with a set of multipliers um, at a pretty minimal expense of weight. Um, Small set of binoculars or a monocular uh, standoff is a good thing in dangerous environments. So if I can increase visual standoff and be able to, you know, get some acuity on an area that I'm perhaps going to move through before I get there, uh, that's a good thing. Um, and really, uh, you know, you know, one of the basic guidance I give people when they're when they're crafting their go bag is you know always kind of look at it from the, the point of view of worst case scenario so you know feel free to think back to the apocalyptic apocalyptic movies you may have seen or dystopic books you've read and just kind of let your imagination run wild and think what what is 
the worst case scenario that I may have to deal with, that I may have to move through to get from point A to point B. Um, and then, you know, the considerations of do I have other people with me? Do I have kids with me? Do I have a wife with me or husband? Um, you know, so does my bag have to support more than myself? So a lot of different aspects to it. Um, some way to make fire. Uh, for those that have not had the, the joyful experience of trying to start fires out in the sticks uh, without modern conveniences, you may want to practice it. Um, you know, just having a flint and steel, and if you don't have experience in using that, especially in non-ideal conditions like wet environments, uh, windy environments, that's something that takes practice. Know, there there is a science to it so some kind of tinder is a good thing um and there's ready-made tinder you can buy you can make some uh just make sure it's protected from being wet you know an old pill bottle is helpful you can put uh you know, wood shavings in an old pill bottle um that works chunks of old candle wax that works as well um some way to create heat uh, with fire. You can use fire to, of course, prepare food, sterilize water um, for signaling. So, some way to hold water, some way to purify water, a minimal source of food, a shelter of some kind, at the very least, like a poncho. Um, a basic tool set, some way to see farther than you normally would be able to, uh, monocular, binocular, um, some sort of self-defense implement, a weapon, so whether you're carrying a firearm or it's a, a knife or a baton, whatever is appropriate for your area. I mean, Obviously, firearms are going to be ideal. Uh, it just depends on your where you are and what the conditions are. Um, personally, I like to have extra ammo, um, extra magazines, things like that. Um, you know, and you, and you can really just kind of build it from there. Along with go bags, I I kind of. I have a fine line between go bags and caches. I use a lot of tactical and strategic caches. Um, right. So, you know, I, I break it into level one, two, and three. Level one cache, very, very small, no bigger than a coffee can. And it could be uh, copies of credentials. It could be a little bit of spare ammo. It could be small seer type kit, uh, some extra money. Um, you know, basic kind of get me out of trouble stuff, uh, especially if I'm in a different country. Um, and I can just stick that somewhere so it's not on my person. Uh, a burner phone, uh, you know, they've got these small portable solar panels. I love those things. I use them a lot. Uh, little battery packs for your phone. Um, you know, stuff like that is going to give you a lot of mileage. Um, I'm a fan of the in-reach product, 
part is I, uh, I think they're owned by Garmin now. Um, so basically, it's a satellite communicator, uh, not a phone, but it allows for texting and email type of services via satellite. Uh, and there is a way to kind of jerry-rig that so that you can do encrypted communication via satellite. Now, this is, of course, this is all contingent on there being satellites that are functioning, which the first blows of World War Three, I think, are. Uh, GPS networks will, will go down pretty much within the day. Um, right. The, the, the Russians would be foolish to not do that. They have the capability, the Chinese have the capability to easily strike our satellites. And right. they recognize that that's a huge Achilles heel with our weapons platform. Most of our really effective weapons platforms are very, very much dependent on GPS. So... Uh, and that yeah. that's why they launched their own systems. I mean, China uh-huh. has Beidou, which has just went online um, within the past couple of years. Of course, Russia has the GLONASS system, which is up as well. And um, to me, that begs the question, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of devices on the market. I know that uh, Lawrence makes them where they're uh, they are capable of re- receiving GLONASS system as well as conventional GPS. Uh, so do you think that that would be a good consideration? Oh, yeah, for sure. If I mean, if, if I'm shopping for a new GPS, um, you know, your higher end Garmin's, it will list which networks it'll it'll utilize. And, you know, the high end ones now, they'll, they'll use GLONASS, they'll use all of them. Um, now, your mileage may vary because I guarantee the Russians have the ability to cut out the U.S. market. There's oh, yeah. No, they would have not built that into their system. Um, right. So, so again, and, and this is something I, you know, I'm, I'm pushing like patrolling classes right now. Getting guys back to the basics, getting guys back to where they're running a map, they're running a compass, because um, just a lot of folks have gotten away from that or never really learned it to begin with. Um, and it's yep. something it, it takes time to really get good at it and really get a feel for it. And it's, it's pretty critical. And if you don't know where you're going, you know, you, you are not effective. You're not effective in any way. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, a, that's the reason that is like the, the origin point for any elite unit out there is you are tested on your ability to land nav. Uh, and then, and then, thought to be much better at it. Um, so, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, GPS is nice. I use it. I use it frequently. Um, I just recognize that it is a crutch, and it may not always be there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, th- those are all incredible suggestions. I mean, they they very much mirror mine. That, that's no surprise. I mean, we learned a lot of the the same techniques from same people very similar places um but one of the things that that i'd like for you to touch on is that there is a mountain of different opinions out there on go bags bug out bags inch bags bug in bags all these different bags right all all this gear that's out there what do you think we, we've talked about the the definite do's what are some of the the very serious don'ts that you see? 
because there are a lot of them. And, you know, thinking back to our original paradigm here, let's say like it's somebody in New York City or Atlanta or Chicago, one of the major nuclear targets, you know, Washington, D.C. that's out there because New York City isn't mutually exclusive from everybody else. If there's an attack on New York City, we can expect one on uh, if it's coming from Russia specifically and it's nation state backed, they're going to attack multiple nuclear targets at once in, in a type of decapitation strike. So what would be some of the big no-nos that you would tell folks? Specific to what they're packing or... What, what they're packing, uh, how they're packing it, that certainly comes to mind as well. Um, maybe even the bags that they're using themselves, because there's kind of this tendency. A lot of people really want to look military. And most people are unfamiliar with exactly what that entails socially, um, especially in a you know grid down, quote unquote, or uh, less than ideal, austere environment. You know, looking military is probably the last thing that you want to do, at least in in my opinion. So what are what are some of the things that people ought to be staying away from? Yeah, and I, I think you make a good point there. You, you you don't want to draw attention. You want to be the, you know, the, the gray man, as it were, um, look like everyone else. So recognize the environment you're in and and blend in. Um, there's there's plenty of you know, commercial off-the-shelf bags, backpacks available that are very utilitarian uh, but have a, a decidedly non-military look to them. Um, you know, uh, whether it's Vertex or Iberlistock makes some, um, or even if it's not, you know, a tactical company at all, just a good durable bag is fine. Uh, you know, in my tradecraft classes, I always recommend Anytime someone's carrying a bag, they have at least a second bag inside that bag that is voluminous enough that they can take it out and put their original bag inside it. Follow me. So I can quickly change the appearance. Um, And this goes back to, you know, tracking people in a crowd. You tend to key off of size, shape, color. Um, So if someone's carrying a blue backpack, you know, a surveillance team tends to key off that as a primary indicator because they're less likely to lose that person. If they're just trying to key, key off, you know, the shape of their ears or, you know, the their height or all, those things are a little more abstract. And as distance, you know, increases, they become more definite, more indefinite. Um, so people naturally are going to look at, you know, hats, sunglasses, what's their jacket, uh, what's the color of their bag, what kind of bag is it. So having the ability to very quickly pull that bag off, switch it, put it inside another bag that looks different can get you some good mileage, um, especially if you have drawn attention. You know, and it, it, it isn't necessarily, you know, a state-level actor that's after you. It could be just some desperate person or group of people that want what you have. You know, you're you're exactly. in you're in a state of chaos. There's you know everything's burning around you. It's all our worst fears have come to pass, and you've got a big backpack on moving through this area. And there's a lot of people in need. 
there's a lot of scared people there's a lot of stressed out people um so yeah you could easily find yourself targeted by the lowest common denominator and that can get you just as dead so and i would think you know just me and and um you know just as, as you pointed out that's actually a, a much more realistic and much more lethal threat than worrying about nation state actors because they're more concerned with with the the response the crisis response they're not so much caring uh about you per se uh, but other people who are desperate if you look military you look official if you look official that means you got stuff and also you didn't buy your stuff somebody else bought it so they can take it from you and whatever no harm no foul and that that's that's their perception of these things and that's that's very very realistic to uh, to to point that out because they, they, and and the re- whole reason that I bring this up is more often than not we're subjected to people saying you know oh, get you know an Alice pack or something that looks very military and that's that's something that you know i I know that uh, we've had this discussion in the past and uh it's something that i frequently point out as well you want to be looking as non-important as possible um you know and and there's a variety of of ways to do that the best thing to do is to look homeless uh because if you're homeless Mm -hmm. you ain't got nothing i mean people aren't gonna bother you they they don't even care more often than not they just want you gone uh, they they want to interact with you as little as possible. So, you know, that, that's kind of my answer. Um, but, man, great stuff. Uh, great recommendations there. And, and um, you know, shifting gears just a little bit on that note, because you mentioned weapons. And, um, you know, they, weapons for non-permissive environments are uh, somewhat... I, I wouldn't say completely mutually exclusive from, you know, the the quote unquote tactical world, what what we think of when we think of the tactical world, whether that's a, you know, AR-15 or an AK or, you know, whatever uh, primary weapon that is stocked that can be shouldered versus a handgun um, for this non permissive environment, you know, s- after a crisis, uh, you know, people are trying to flee the city and you mentioned weapons, you know, aside from the tools that you have that could be employed as weapons as well. But, you know, Leathermans are, are obviously less than ideal for every reason I can think of. Um, screwdrivers less so because, I mean, a screwdriver is, is a very frequent murder weapon uh, among the homeless and, and drug addicts and, and people of low income. But what personal weapons would you arm yourself with? What, what would be your selection? Well, I mean, I think it goes without saying standoff weapons are, are going to be preferred. Um, you know, any time I'm fighting in a zone, so basically within arm's reach of somebody, you know, it, it, it almost doesn't matter what kind of knife I have or stick or screwdriver or, you know, coffee mug or <laughs> what, whatever I happen to have in my hand that's hard or sharp. Um, there's... The, the the odds are not in your favor of walking away from that wholly intact uh, just because you have another person within arm's reach that also doesn't want to die. Um, so standoff weapons are always preferable if that's an option. So handguns, handguns, we can conceal handguns. 
they're not as effective at putting people down, but you know they're very easily concealed uh, and they can be employed very quickly. Um, you know, I I try to avoid getting into the the, the caliber debates. Um, you know, as long as it's a adult caliber, as I put it, go with it. You know, if uh, I tend to prefer NATO cartridges, common cartridges, because I can probably source ammo for it if you know I run out. Um, so something that's widely available would be would be preferable. Uh, and something you're good with, something that has a good long history track record of reliability functionality behind it um, you know and I'll, I'll stay away from mentioning any brands but you, you know what they are uh, <laughs> go ahead man it, it's you know I, I i don't think that i'm gonna take off anybody in the it's specific in the firearms industry i mean they, they, there's a lot of great handguns out there uh, there's a lot of great brands out there too but i mean for me Locks the top of the heap. I mean, it, it you're you'd be hard pressed to find a firearm that is more ubiquitous in the world, aside from an AK-47 um, and all its derivatives, than a Glock 19. Yeah, and and again, it's you have you just have to be pragmatic about it. It it has a very long track record. It's let's face it, it is 90% of the professional shooting world that carries pistols. Um, so it's seen action in every country of the world, uh, in every combat zone. Uh, it's been used in every extreme environment from the hottest desert to the coldest Arctic conditions. Um, you know, it, and that's what I want. I want something that has simplicity that's going to function. There are a lot of things about Glocks I don't like. Um, I know I'm not alone there. But, you know, I mean, for me, yeah. with, you know, the last unit I was with, that was our sidearm. That was our gun. And so I had to learn to be good with it, whether I liked it or not. Um, you know, we got very, very good with them. Uh, so it can be done. Um, you know, there's a particular way to shoot a Glock uh, compared to some other pistols. But, you know, you just, just need to get some good instruction if you're struggling with that. But, yeah, I would agree. The, the Glock, um, there's a lot of kind of, Clones of Glocks, I would call them, that other manufacturers have come up with. Um, we've got the M17, M18 pistols that won the recent military contracts uh, fielded by SIG. Um, there's things about that pistol that I find preferable in its shootability compared to a Glock. Uh, I don't like yeah. the lack of simplicity. Its inner workings are far, far, far more complex than a Glock. Um, and they just haven't been around that long. So it's kind of time will tell how well that thing is going to stand up under you know, adverse conditions and high round counts, and things like that. Um, right. Well, SIG, I hate to put it like this. I know that, that somebody listening is going to probably get upset, but maybe. And then again, I don't care. Uh, SIG has got a really checkered track record as of late. Um, great company overall, they're a great company, but it, it seems like here recently with every new product they've put out, there's, there's been a lot of problems with it. Um, now, I mean, with the 320, and, and I don't want to turn this into a handgun debate, but, uh, I recently shot 
a Sig Legion X5 with a friend of mine, and what a wonderful handgun. Uh, heavy, but but it, you know it was designed to be a, a factory race gun out of the box. Um, wonderful handgun and, and very very accurate, well tuned, nice trigger and everything. But exactly as you said, um, more complex than a Glock. Um, I don't know if it was it, you know it's certainly as intuitive to use because it's it's got very similar controls. But, you know, internally, there's there's more of a chance of things to go wrong. Uh, so, you know, it, it and again, to your point, it doesn't necessarily have the round count behind it. You know, absolutely not as compared to, you know, let's say the, the first three generations of, of Glock handguns um, that, you know, before they went to a, um, a, a two point a two piece guide rod. Uh, with the, the Gen 4 and then the Gen 5. But those first three generations of Glocks are, are bombproof, uh, literally yeah. bombproof. And, you know, yeah, it, it does take some training, but every weapon system does. I mean, the AR-15 has a learning curve to it as well to make people better with it. Um, you know, it, it, it is an intimidating platform. The first time somebody picks it up there, there's some, the, you know, the manual of arms has a, a fairly interesting, um, set of nuances to it that, that, you know, shooters have to get used to. Whereas other platforms like the AK, for example, are more intuitive to use. Uh, but there, there's drawbacks there. Like there, there's drawbacks to everything. Um, <laughs> You know, it, and again, I didn't want to t- turn that into specifically a, a whole uh, a thing on weapons, but just kind of getting your thoughts on what people ought to have, uh, because we do know that they, there's a, as many shooters as there are in America right now. There's new shooters being made every single day. There's more people who are buying firearms and in record numbers as to years in the past. And so I think any amount of advice that we can give out to them is certainly valuable, uh, given, you know, the, the respective backgrounds. Um, one more quick thing sort of related and going back to this constant state of crisis that we were talking about second and third order effects, um, you know, being economic because we never really got out of our last crisis. I mean, they're still trying to beat the drum on that. There's some serious signs of economic flaws out there. And the last time that I had you on, we talked about Bitcoin. Um, you know, you have worked a lot with cryptocurrencies. It's something that you cover in your ground rod classes, uh, which I think is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, Bitcoin, there's a lot of speculation out there. I think the people who invested in Bitcoin to have an investment are, uh, you know, kind of a little butt hurt right now because it's, you know, it, it's kind of up and down. It's lost a significant amount of its value. But the people who've been in there for a long haul or maybe use it for other purposes, they're not as concerned about it. Um, what are your thoughts on all this? And, and where do you see cryptocurrency as uh, in totes across all the platforms? Where do you see it going from here? You there and folks as a uh, post edit of the episode we had lost contact momentarily with Kay 
Um, got him back on afterwards. He was having some technical difficulties on his end. Uh, but instead of restarting all of that, we are definitely going to have him back on. We're going to be talking about some of the volatility with the crypto markets. But uh, anyway, with that said, you can check him out. You can check his courses out over at CombatStudiesGroup.com. That's CombatStudiesGroup.com. Again, he is a, a very good friend of mine, very active in the Western states, and the last thing that I was going to bring up with him is the prospects of getting his ground rod courses, which are uh, excellent classes. I, I've had a lot of students who've come to the RTO courses, scout courses, who have trained with him out west. And I'm going to tell you something, after meeting him, working with him personally, uh, having him in class and interacting with him on a personal level, I'm telling you, you're going to get an incredible training experience. Uh, so he has got a lot up over on his training calendar, and that is CombatStudiesGroup.com. He's also got a lot of incredible products over there. The Varus Phone, which runs a uh, version of Calyx operating system, and I'm a huge fan of this. Uh, there is a mountain of reasons out there that you need to be getting off of the Android and uh, iPhone train and getting to, you know, something that's more uh, privacy oriented and security conscious. And his phone is definitely one of those. I've been extremely happy with mine. So anyway, with that said, a uh, quick shout out to the show sponsors, Combat Studies Group, of course, on here, giving a shout out to him and Civil Defense Manual Jack Lawson's two-volume set. Definitely check them out. Uh, Blacksmith Publishing. I've talked about them a lot in the past. And then last and certainly not least, my good friend Joe Dolio with Tactical Wisdom. So anyhow, folks, it's great to be with you once again. Uh, the episode didn't quite turn out the way that I had originally wanted it to because of some of the de uh, technical difficulties that we were having. But that's all right. That's all right. We covered a lot of incredible ground on here, and there's going to be definitely some follow-up episodes coming back off of this. Folks, God bless. Take care, and I'll talk to you again very, very soon. The Sensi Scout, out. Back away! Back away!